we decided to come up here on Sunday night too and tell you about Girlfriend Connection that's coming up. It is uh, Saturday, September 17th. Uh, registration starts at noon and the event will start at 1. Um, We're super excited about this year. Uh, our registration is $30. That includes a full day of events that Adrian is going to talk to you about briefly. And um, the price will go up because we have a catered meal. So the price will go up on Saturday, September 10th. That's one week before. So make sure you get registered in the foyer or online. We also have these t-shirts you can wear. Um, they're for sale out in the foyer. We'll have them at Girlfriend Connection as well. They're $15 and $17. So um, pick those up. So I'm going to let her tell you about the day a little bit. Okay, we are going to have so much fun, ladies. We want you to invite all your friends, all your family. Um, the, we will have special speakers there. Uh, specifically that night, Kim Owens is going to be our main speaker. She is powerful. She comes from, all the way from Arizona. It is going to be a phenomenal time in the Lord during the daytime. We are going to have so much fun. We're going to have classes that you can take. We are going to have jousting and inflatables and cornhole and different things. We're going to have a snack shack where you can go and get an iced coffee and cupcakes and treats. We're going to have vendors where you can go and shop and spend all the money that you want to spend. It is just going to be a really, really super good time. So um, our theme this year is everything beautiful. And as the, um, the Lord has made everything beautiful. And so we went with that theme. Um, it is just going to be a really, really great time. So we encourage all of you guys, like I said, to invite all the ladies ages 12 and up. This is an event I promise that you don't want to miss, ladies. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Mindy. And I'm Cindy. If you're watching online, we're thankful you've joined us as well. Here are a few upcoming events you might be interested in. The Discipleship Program will be celebrating Graduation Sunday on September 4th. All children graduating to the next grade level will be promoted on that day. Please emphasize the importance of attending discipleship classes to your children in your life. If you're new to the palace or just ready to get connected, we invite you to join us for Connect Track. You'll have lunch with the pastors and staff, get a tour of the building, teaching on our basic beliefs, information about opportunities to serve, and lots more. The next track begins Sunday, September 11th at 9.30 a.m. There will also be a Wednesday night track that begins September 14th at 6 p.m. To reserve your place in the class, sign up now at the Ministry Center in the foyer. There will be a baby dedication on Sunday, September 11th in the p.m. service. You can register your baby on the church app or at palaceofpraise.com. Sunday, September 11th is Girlfriend Connection t-shirt day. We encourage all ladies to wear Girlfriend Connection shirt that day. To purchase a shirt, stop by the Girlfriend Connection table in the foyer. Christway Ministry invites everyone to join them for Recovered 2022 on Saturday, September 10th from 11 to 3 p.m. It will be a day of celebration and fun. There will be worship and testimonies about God's life-changing power. There will be no p.m. service on Sunday, September 4th to allow families to spend time together. Vicki Holloway will be hosting a ladies Bible study beginning Tuesday, September 6th at 6 p.m. The Armor of God is a seven-week study by Priscilla Shire. Books can be purchased at Lifeway or Amazon. If you plan to attend or need more information, sign up at the Ministry Center in the foyer. That's it for this week. Follow us on social media and the church app. Visit our website for updates on current or future events. Girlfriend Connection is coming up in just a few weeks. Stop by the table in the foyer to register and buy a t-shirt. Now watch this. 
we see extraordinary beauty. We see lives that have been carefully and seamlessly sewn together. We see infectious joy radiating from a smile. But behind every beautiful face and every spectacular smile lies a story, a story of God's redeeming grace, one that speaks of his healing power and of his unending love. and how he makes all things beautiful. Can you give an articulated and educated explanation why you believe in Jesus and the Bible? Can you tell somebody why you believe the way that you do? Join us on Thursday nights at 6.30 p.m. in room 400 starting September the 8th as we explore the world of apologetics. We'll be going through the curriculum, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, as it is not required, but it would help in your journey if you was to purchase the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith, to be, to be an Atheist, written by Frank Turek. I would like to encourage you men to become a part of our Thursday night men's Bible study as it has been a wonderful resource for the men of this church. Let's hear from a couple of them. The group on Thursday nights, um, it's awesome. It's iron sharpening iron. Um, we have phenomenal discussions, uh, digging deeper into the word and uh, different meanings of things. I like the Thursday night gathering of the real men because it uh, gives us a chance to discuss different topics and uh, it gives me a different perspective on what other people see that I may not have thought of. Thursday night's awesome group of guys because you are the sum of the people that you hang out with and you get to spend every Thursday with them. Also, men, don't forget about the podcast Real Men Talk, which is just another resource for the men to become equipped to be godly, courageous men. You can find the, this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Good evening, church. Stand and worship with us tonight. I was buried beneath my shame I could carry that kind of weight It was my turn Till I let you be Oh, I was breathing but Oh, 
is heavy The chains break at the weight of your glory I needed shelter, I was an orphan Now you call me a citizen of heaven When I was broken, you were my Faithfulness, your faithfulness. 
have a tally them people got right in there and counted the votes so we do have election it's done it's complete they're going to put the numbers up on the board for you here I think if they've got them by now I hope they've got them um, earth to heaven we'll go ahead and do them in case maybe they'll get them up here in a few minutes uh, but the pastor's council has elected uh, the high vote was with Wayne Kinsey at 83. The second vote was with Anthony Cronut at 81. The third vote was at uh, 46, who will be the first alternate, Mike Burton. And the second alternate will David Morgan at 43. So we thank you for your support. So we've elected Wayne Kinsey and Anthony Cronut to the Pastors Council. Can you give them a great big hand tonight? <laughs> Hallelujah. First alternate, Mike Burton, and second alternate, David Morgan. Now, somebody asked me how these alternates work because we got, these alternates will only be for this group of people. We've got other alternates for the other people that have already been elected. So if something would happen to Wayne or something would happen to Anthony, then one of these guys would take their spots. If something happened to John Sells, there's a different alternate for that because they were voted on during a different time. So we want you to understand that. If something would happen to one of the council members and somebody goes on there, you don't understand it's because we have alternates. It's already scheduled for those um, ballots that we took back then. So we just want you to be clarified of that. It's good to have everybody here tonight. We want you to be reminded of your tithe and offering. You can put them at either box on your on the boxes on the way out, or you can send them in um, the mail. You can take, you can um, go on the um, com, uh, the website and put them in. And remember your app. You can do it through the app as well. We're thankful for your th uh, faithfulness. You've been so. Uh, faithful in your giving that the Lord has really blessed the church and we thank you. We're able to do things. We're able to be we're in the planning stages of some things. It takes a lot of time and we're working on some stuff. We'll be presenting hopefully in the near future some goals and some things that we want to accomplish. Set some vision for you. Raise some money and we're going to do great things for the Lord. So bless you for your faithfulness in your giving tonight. You go right back into worship and then Pastor Reasons is going to come and he's going to preach a fiery sermon to you tonight. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, I don't know about fiery, but I'm, I'm here. 
excited to be in the house of the Lord with you this evening. Let me just say that the King is coming. Yeah. Amen. And if you were here this morning, didn't Pastor do a phenomenal job on that teaching and that preaching on end times? Um, I was telling somebody after this morning's service, I said, well, for tonight, basically, I could just come up here and say, go get the tape from this morning and let's pray and be dismissed. Because, because we did, uh, we are, from what he preached on and what I'm going to teach on tonight, I do feel like that tonight is more of a teaching uh, than a preaching, but I don't want that to uh, discourage you in the sense of it being some fiery message. I want you to know some truth and some facts about what the scripture says and where we are in the prophetic timeline, and I want that to build your faith. Because when you see these prophecies come to pass in Scripture, you know that God is on the throne, that He has orchestrated everything from the very beginning, and there's nothing that happens without His say-so. Amen? Nothing happens without His say-so. And we know that everything is going according to His plan. Now, admittedly, there's some things that uh, are going on that we in and of ourselves may not like. We don't necessarily like where... Uh, culture is headed and some different things that we see going on in the world are headed. But God's in control and he knows what he's doing. And it's coming to pass just as the scripture says. But before uh, we do, I just simply want to pray a prayer over tonight's message. And then I hope that you are, I hope you learned a few things and I hope you get encouraged by it in your faith and know that Jesus is on the throne. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, your word declares that it is the name that is above every name. And Lord, that's who we come to you tonight in. And Father, we just pray that you would bless this word. Lord, this is your word. God, we see it literally coming to pass in front of our very eyes. And it is exciting to be in the times in which we live. We truly live in biblical times. We are seeing Bible prophecy come to pass in front of our very eyes. And Lord, I don't want people to leave here discouraged. I don't want people to leave here afraid. In fact, the opposite is true. We know that the word declares that perfect love casts out fear. And Lord, for those that are living in a state of fear, those that look around them and see everything that's going on and the state of affairs in the United States and just around the world, all the chaos from the economic issues and the moral issues and the health issues that we go through from the pandemic and on and on and on, different struggles that we're going through, God. We know that you love us. And because of your love, we don't have to be afraid. Lord, we turn to your word and we just pray tonight, Lord, that we would be encouraged by it, that we would be taught by it, that it would impact how we live. And that we would become more like Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. All right. Well, I want to jump right in. And I want to, first, first off, I want to give credit where credit is due. I, I try and do a lot of my own personal study on these kinds of things. This has always been an area of interest for me. But I, I try and go to good sources. I try and go to what I deem as reputable people. So without going any further, I just want to mention some of these names, people that I uh, study and that I look at to kind of give credit. John Hagee, Pastor Mark Biltz, Jimmy Evans, Jan Markell, Gary Stearman, David Jeremiah, Bill Salas, Billy Crone, on and on and on. These are different people that I use as reference points for where we are. These are um, voices, true scholars, I deem as scholars of the end time prophecy. And so these are some of the people that I go to and study what they have to say, obviously, after we look at the word itself. But I want to ask the question, and it's simply this, what's up? What is up? Has anybody been looking at the cultural landscape and the things going on in the world today and asked that very question, what is up? 
What is going on? I want to tell you that there are many people, uh, Christians as well as the unsaved, that are asking that very question, what is up? Something is not right. Something is different. Something has changed. The world is not what it was 10 years ago. It's not what it was five years ago. It's not what it was two years ago. We see things that are advancing and changing. And I'm 41. I'll be 42 um, next month. And even in my life, I sit there and I, I'm, I'm just staggered at the things that I see coming to pass that, that you know, there's those recesses in my heart where I thought I would never really live to see some of this stuff come to pass or hoped I wouldn't to see some of the, the things that's coming to pass in our nation and our culture, but we're here. And when we look in the scripture, we see that there are all kinds of things that are going on that are falling in line with scripture. And I want to ask three basic questions tonight. And one of the questions that people always ask in just a general sense is, how do we know that this is the end? Pastor hit on a lot of these things this morning, so if they're somewhat redundant, just hang with me anyway. And everybody said amen. So how do we know that we're at the end? What is the significance of, if you study in times, what the, what's the significance of Ezekiel 38 and 39 where it talks about the Gog-Magog war? We're going to talk about that as our second point. And then when is this all this going to happen? That's the third thing that we want to address tonight. Now I want to say I am not up here to sensationalize this point. I'm not up here to just try and drum up some sort of excitement because I know that end times prophecy, end times study, that is a point of intrigue for people. People are interested in that. And I'm not up here to sensationalize. I'm not up here to exaggerate. I'm up here just to tell you what the scripture says. Okay? And, and so I want you to get that point. I want, it to, I want to drive that point home to you tonight. Um, I would say that most Christians have probably in and of themselves wondered about the first and the third question that I mentioned to you. Those questions being, um, how do we know this is the end time and when is it going to happen? Those are just basic questions that any believer that's ever heard the gospel preach has asked in and of themselves. How do we know that this is the end times and when is this stuff going to come to pass? The Gog and Magog, that's a very specific thing. Most people have probably not wondered about that very much. So I think to one degree or another, all of those questions have rested on the hearts and minds of people for some time. And who doesn't want to know, if you can know, where we are in the biblical timeline of events? Now, I want to say I'm not up here to try and set dates, but I do want to tell you what the scripture says. And I want you to know that we are in the end of the end times. We are in the end of the last days. We are there. And that's not an exaggeration. And I hope to prove that to you tonight by the scripture. So the first scripture I want to go to tonight, my first point, how do we know this is the end, is when you look in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 3, and I gave that to them. Hopefully they'll have it up on the overhead for you here in just a moment. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. You can remain seated tonight, but just read along with me if you would. Because this is a very important scripture prophetically. And this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Joel in the first person. And this is what he says. Again, Joel 3 verses 1 through 3. He says, yes, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will 
I will enter into judgment with them there because of my people, my inheritance, Israel. The nations have scattered the Israelites in foreign countries and divided up my land. They've even cast lots for my people. They bartered for a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for a wine to drink. So one of the things I want you to get right out of the gate is that what you see going on in the nation of Israel right now is being fulfilled in this very passage of Scripture. Because when it says that in the last days and at that time, he says, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. He is talking about the very people and the very nation of Israel. God says in these times, I will restore their fortunes. At the same time that God is restoring the fortunes, he is restoring the prosperity, he is bringing people back to Jerusalem. I've heard even since the... uh, Um, The the Russian invasion of Ukraine, there's been over 30,000 Ukrainian Jews that have been transplanted from Ukraine, taken back to Israel, making it their new homeland. In fact, just yesterday or the day before, I think it was, there was um, uh, an airliner that had flown out of Ukraine with 640 Jews relocating them to Israel. Now, that may not sound like a big number in the grand scheme of things, but they say right now roughly half of the world's Uh, Jewish population now lives in Israel, roughly half. There's about 15 to 16 million Jews in the world, roughly half, now live in the nation of Israel. And more are returning every single day. That's not an exaggeration. From all over the world, people are returning. Jews are returning home. Why is that? Because this is a prophetic fulfillment. And he goes on to say, at the same time, that he is bringing Jews home to their homeland, he says that he will enter into judgment with those nations that are around them. And why is that? Because you need to understand something right out of the gate. The Jews are God's people. He even says here, on four different occasions, he alludes to things where God uses this personal sense. He says they are my people. And he says that Jerusalem and that area, it is my land. He goes on to say again, it is my land. They are my people. They are my inheritance. They belong to God. And let me just tell you, God is large and he is in charge when it comes to the nation of Israel. Somebody say amen. So they are his special people. And pastor preached on a lot of that this morning and I don't want to be redundant on that. But, But basically at the time that God is bringing them in, he is setting up the chess pieces of all the things that's going on in the region of the Middle East and he is ultimately setting them up for a Gog, Magog war, which I'll get to in just a minute. And beyond that, past that, he's setting things up for ultimately Armageddon to come to pass. Now, he says in there, he says that I will bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Literally, the name Jehoshaphat means, when it's translated, it means God has judged. And that's the valley. I've been there. It is the valley between the Mount of Olives. You've seen pictures, I'm sure. You could easily look this up. It's the valley between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. I have walked through that valley on two different occasions in my life. And God is symbolically saying, I will bring them into a place of judgment right there around the Temple Mount. And ultimately, the Mount of Olives is where Jesus, as Pastor hit on this morning, according to Zechariah 14, that's where Jesus will actually step his foot down at his second coming. Not the rapture. Not the rapture. The rapture is when we are caught up into the air to be with him. But at the second coming is when Jesus will plant his foot 
on the Mount of Olives. Did you know it wasn't all that long ago they discovered a fault line that ran directly from the top of the Mount of Olives straight over to the Eastern Gate? Because whenever Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he's going to walk right through the eastern gate. I believe he's going to just come down there somewhere around that fault line, plant his big foot down, and boom, things are going to split apart. Right now, if you see pictures of the eastern gate in Jerusalem, they have bricks and they have blocks that have been put up there as a way of stopping the Messiah. Is that not ridiculous? But that's their thinking. And so there's actually a fault line that's been discovered that leads from the top of the Mount of Olives straight over to the Eastern Gate. Now, this is important because in the scripture it says that God is bringing them home. He's going to restore the fortunes, okay? Why is that important? Because Israel is the only nation in history that I could, that, that I could come up with that had been overrun and kicked out of their homeland twice only to come back ultimately for a third time. That's a miracle. That is a miracle. And the last time, they did it after roughly 1,900 years. Where in human history do you ever see anything like that done? Oh, except the prophetic fulfillment of the scriptures. Where the Lord says in those days, I will return them to their homeland. So these evictions and these invasions, they were all prophesied as was the reestablishment of Israel a third time. And that's a miracle in and of itself. The first time happened when you look back in Bible history in roughly 570 B.C. whenever God sent the Babylonians in as a time of judgment for Israel's sin. They picked them up. They hauled them off back to Babylon. While they were in Babylon, the Medo-Persians came over and invaded Babylon. They took them over. And then after 70 years... The Persian Cyrus, King Cyrus, allowed them to go back into their homeland, gave them permission to go back. They stayed there. That was the first time they came back. Ultimately, for roughly five, 600 years later, in 70 AD, you had the Roman general Titus that invaded Israel, invaded the homeland. And most scholars believe that I have studied said that they feel like, uh, they estimate, I should say, that General Titus killed roughly a million Jews during his invasion. And so he killed a million Jews. He tore down the Temple Mount. He laid waste all of Jerusalem. He scattered the Jews all over the Roman world. That was the second time that they were dispersed. And they did not become a nation again. And it was prophetic fulfillment on May 14th, 1948. May 14th, 1948. Where else has that officially happened when you've seen a nation of people return, be dispersed and return that many times? Nowhere. It's all due to prophetic fulfillment. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 8 declares, can a nation be reborn in a day? It's Isaiah asking a question about whenever they will return. It was fulfilled in a day. And literally just a matter of a few moments after Israel declared themselves to be a nation again, the thing that gave credence and backbone to that on the international scale was when President Harry S. Truman, he declared into the, nation, uh, the world that he recognized Israel as a sovereign nation. Can I tell you, we have been blessed because we have supported the Israelites. We have been blessed because this nation has ultimately supported Israel. Now, things have changed in the last several years, and maybe we'll get to some of that in just a minute. But, but ultimately, this was a prophetic fulfillment of that passage of Scripture in Isaiah 66 and verse 8. So during that period of time, 
that season, if you want to call it that, when the nation is reborn and they are, the people are returning to Israel, there will be a period, and I use this word, I'm not necessarily talking about the tribulation itself. It will ultimately lead into the tribulation. But at the same time that the Jews are coming home, which is what they're doing this very moment, there's going to be trouble. There's just going to be trouble and turmoil and tribulation. Not the tribulation necessarily, that's to come later. But there's going to be trouble surrounding that because the world hates the Jews. And you say, well, why does the world hate the Jews? Because the devil hates the Jews. And because the devil hates the Jews, he inspires people to hate the Jews. That's why the world hates the Jews. People hate the Jews and they don't even know why they hate them. Because of the influence of the enemy. Now, The Israelites are returning to this day and Jesus indicated in Matthew 24 in verse 32 and 34. He says this, and again, this was taught on this morning, the fig tree parable. uh, Matthew 24 is basically a chapter speaking to end times thing. It's a hugely prophetic book. Uh, a prophetic chapter. And in that chapter, he's speaking of end times things. Whenever you go over to chapter 25, that chapter is basically talking about the state of the church at the time of Christ's return. So you need to look at it from those two angles there, okay? So in Matthew 24, verses 32 through 34, it says in there, and I'm paraphrasing now, that the generation that sees the return of Israel to become to return to the homeland and become a nation is the very generation that will see the end of all things. In God's mind, the last days began in May 1948. That's when the last of the last days began was in May of 1948. Because when you talk about prophetic timeline, when you talk about events, you always want to look to Israel, and even more specifically, you want to look to Jerusalem as the hard sign of where we are in prophetic timeline of events. Um, Joel 3 said, God said that the land and the people are his people. Um, Right now, right now, we see our administration, our government is right now trying to dissuade, they're trying to come down on the nation of Israel for all of the settlements that are going on. Can you imagine the influx of Jews that are coming into Israel? They've got to put them somewhere. They've got to build houses, they have to build villages, they've got to build communities. And right now, our administration from the United States, we have condemned the Israelites for building settlements. That has happened right now as we speak. In fact, it wasn't all that long ago that this particular administration, they did not uh, build an embassy in East Jerusalem, but they have opened up a consulate in East Jerusalem. He said, well, why, why, what are you talking about, Josh? Why are you? Because right now we hear about the two-state solution. How many of you know that? You've seen that in the news. You've heard that talked about. They're wanting to have a two-state solution in terms of the Palestinians will have a state and the Israelites can have a state. And so our administration in the face of the precedent that's been set from the administration before, has decided that they will open up a consulate in East Jerusalem, basically trying to recognize the Palestinians as being their own state. And let me just stop and say right here, this is huge. Any nation, including ours, that tries to take away the land of God's people or that tries to harm God's people, and this is exactly what it's doing, we 
will pay a price. We will pay a price for that. And you say, Josh, are you trying to be negative? Are you trying to, you know, stick your thumb down? Are you trying to... No, no, no. I'm just telling you what happens. God says, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. And I told you out of Joel chapter 3 earlier, God says they are my people and that is my land. And when you try and give away my land and take from my people, you will pay a price. And all I can say to the nation is get ready. Buckle up. And that's not me trying to be negative. That is the pattern of history. God does not take kindly to to people and nations that abuse his people. So, So get ready for that. People might say, well, Josh, about the end times. How do we know it's the end times? Because the Bible prophesied, and again in Matthew 24... Jesus said in the last days, he said, you know, there's going to be famines, wars, pestilence, earthquakes in the last days. And people say, well, Josh, there's always been that. And that's true because whenever you look throughout human history, world history, there has always been droughts. There's always been sicknesses and pestilences and earthquakes and wars. and That has always been the case. But not every generation has had Israel established. The only thing that distinguishes where we are now in human history from the previous 1900 years from when the Roman general Titus came in and kicked the Jews out of Israel, the only prophetic difference, because again, there's always been wars and rumors, is the fact that Israel is now a nation again. That is a prophetic fulfillment. And people have said, well, Josh, you know, I I don't want to hear any more about end time stuff. Because, Well, listen, the simple fact that Israel is a nation again lets you know that in order for the end times to come to pass, it has to be a nation again. It has to be a nation again. And it is a nation again. Um, We know that for several other end time prophecies to come to pass before, and Pastor alluded to this today, before there can be... A, uh, an abomination of desolation that's talked about in Matthew 24 and also in Daniel 9, before any of those things can happen, there has to be a temple rebuilt. And did you know that this very day that there is a group of people over there that already have the temple uh, instruments and accoutrements and the, the, the road, they are ready to roll. They have already spent millions of dollars building the menorah that will go into the temple. They've got it in place. They have literally searched the world and continue to search the world and they think they may have found it. The red heifer that has to be sacrificed in order to purify the new temple and they have a candidate heifer. All of these things have to come to pass. And they are coming to pass in front of our very eyes. So the simple fact that Israel is a nation again is significant in that in no other time in history could the end times come to pass except right now. And the fact that ultimately the temple has to be rebuilt and they are ready to do it. They are ready to move. So when we ask this question, people say, well, this generation in Matthew 24, this generation that sees these things come to pass will be, be the generation to see the end come. The next question is, well, how long is a generation? How do we rate a generation? I heard growing up, people would refer to a generation as 20 years, uh, 40 years, 80 years. I've even heard as high as 120 years. Well, when you look over in Psalm 90, 
It says that a generation, talking about a lifespan, is, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, 70 years or 80 years if you have strength. It's been 74 years. 74 years. Are you all catching on to what I'm saying? My dad, he passed away in May of this year. One of the things that he and I would often talk about is that he hoped and prayed that he would live to see the return of the Lord. He wanted to go in the rapture. That's what he was banking on. And someday when I get up there with him, and I don't think it's going to be too long, I'm going to tell him, Dad, you missed it by this much. Just this much. Because, church, I think we are this close to seeing the return of the Lord. Now, we know that we're living in the last days because Israel has often been referred to by many scholars as not just a sign, it is the super sign. There's all kinds of indications, but the fact that Israel is a nation, the fact that Jerusalem is what it is, the fact that it is prosperous, it is the super sign. So I want to make the point. The second question I want to hit on is what's all this stuff going on with Gog? Anybody heard this talked about before? Kind of confusing. Raise your hand if you've heard that talked about Gog, Magog, Ezekiel 38, 39. Okay. And some people that hear about it, they say, well, it's kind of confusing. And it is somewhat confusing. Let me just say that the nation of Russia according to this biblical prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 39, known as the Gog-Magog War, the nation of Israel is a hugely prophetic part of these two chapters. And it mentions the name Gog, which translated simply means leader. It's a title, like prince. And so it's not a proper name, it's just mainly a title. In other words, this Gog, this leader, this prince over a region of territory known in ancient times as Magog, this person would lead Magog as well as an alliance of other nations into an invasion of Israel. Now, those chapters I mentioned to you, they tell us what's going to be going on. So I just want to read a a couple of these verses to you. Ezekiel 38 verses 1 through 6. And this is what it says. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, turn your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and bring you out with all of your army, including horses and riders, who are all splendidly dressed, a huge company armed with shields and bucklers, all of them brandishing swords. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shields and helmets. Gomer with all its troops and Beth Togarma from the remotest parts of the north. That's hugely important. If you go, let me just hit the pause button right here. If you were to stand in Jerusalem and you were to follow the... uh, 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 latitude line due north you would come right across the outskirts of Moscow Moscow is pretty much due north of Jerusalem so let me carry on for just a couple more verses it says put with them with all of them shields and helmets Gomer with all its troops and Beth Togarma from the remotest parts of the north with all of its troops many peoples are with you so again It specifically mentions this man, Gog, ruler, talking about a prince of the land of Magog. Many, uh, some versions of the Bible translated as Rosh. Does that sound familiar? Like maybe Russia? It's talking about a region, a land that was known in antiquity of the land of Magog, of the land of Rosh. And in this prophecy, 
This is God once again speaking, and he uses this imagery of an animal hook where they would take a a hook, an unruly animal, and they would stick the hook in the uh, animal's mouth around its jaw, and they would use that to drag it, to lead it wherever they needed to go. And here's what's amazing. So many of these, you know, uh, just narcissistic and arrogant rulers, they think they're in charge. Can I tell you God's the one in charge? They think they're going to be the ones to lead this invasion out of their own schemes and out of their own arrogance and out of their own wants. And God says, I'm leading you around like I would a donkey. That's what he's saying. He says, I will put a hook in your jaw and I will bring you down to where I want you to come to. And then basically he says, I'm going to thump your head when I get you down there. Now listen to what he goes on and says. So he uses this imagery and All of the nations that are mentioned with Magog or with Gog, here's what's important. If you were to look on a modern map, if you were to look at a map of antiquity in these regions that are mentioned and then you were to transpose it over to a modern map, you would find that you had Russia and every other nation that was mentioned are Muslims. Every single region and nation that is mentioned as coming with Gog are Muslims. There is a huge alliance today that in fact that I think it was two or three weeks ago where there was an accord that was set up between Russia and then Iran, former Persians, and then the Turkish, which even though they're a democracy, they are primarily Muslim, and that is from the land of Togarma. Do you see how these things are lining up? There is a hatred for the people of Israel. There is a jealousy for the people of Israel. Now, Israel is in the middle of all of these nations. And all of these nations, again, if you looked at a map, you would see that this little nation of Israel, about the size of the state of New Jersey, that's how big it is, is completely surrounded by powerhouse nations that want its demise, that are after to take the... They are completely surrounded. Here's my point. All of the nations needed for the Ezekiel 38 prophecy to come to pass, they are in place and they all hate Israel. Every single one of them. They all hate Israel. Now you do have the Abraham Accords that that, that have come about during the last administration. But here's what's significant about those. None of those are mentioned in the Gog-Magog prophecy. But these other nations that are Muslim are mentioned in the Gog-Magog prophecy. The very players are in place. Can somebody say God is in charge? So let's move on. Is Is this helping anybody tonight? All right, so we don't have much longer to go. I just want you to understand something. So it goes on in verses 7 through 12, and people say, okay, so they're coming in. What's their motivation? Why? Why the invasion? Well, we know that they hate him, but more than that, deeper than that, why do they hate him? What are they going after? Let's read verses 7 through 12. It says, and this is the Lord speaking, he says, Be prepared and get yourself ready, you and all your company who have been mobilized around you, You will be their guard. After a long time, you will be summoned. In the last years, you will enter a land that has been restored from war and regathered from many peoples to the mountains of Israel, which had been a ruin. They were brought out from the peoples, and all of them now live securely. You, all of your troops, and many peoples with you will advance 
Coming like a thunderstorm, you will be like a cloud covering the land. This is what the Lord God says. On that day, thoughts will arise in your mind and you will devise an evil plan and you will say, I will go up against a land of open villages. I will come against a tranquil people who are living securely, all of them living without walls and without bars and gates in order, and here's the motivation, in order to seize spoil, to carry off plunder, to turn your hand against ruins now inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have been who have been acquiring cattle and possessions and who live at the center of the world truly Israel Jerusalem is at the center of the world all of the geopolitical stuff that's going on in the world ultimately centers around the nation of Israel it's hard to believe People look at it and say, how can a nation that is so tiny, so small, carry such significance? Well, besides the three great religions that come out of there on the world order, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, there is this, this fight and this war that everybody wants that particular part of, of the world. It is the crossroads of the world. So here's what's important about that. Why are they invading? Well, they're invading for the resources and the wealth. Let me just say, I've been to Israel twice. And if you ever go up to a Jew or you ever go up to an Israelite over there and you refer to their land as being a desert, you have straight up insulted them. You have. They, I had a guy correct me. He kind of looked at me. He said, this isn't a desert. And I told him, I said, it looks like a whole bunch of sand to me. And he said, no, no, no. He said, this is a wilderness. I said, okay. He corrected me there. And what's amazing about it is if you put a little bit of water on that wilderness, they can grow anything. I told my class Wednesday night, we were on the tour bus going down through there, and maybe I've mentioned this before to the church, they, they sell all kinds of crops and produce and fruit. They are huge exporters of goods and vegetables. You can be driving down through there, and they will have 40 and 50 and 60 acre fields of just orchards and different kinds of trees and whatnot, and they will be covered, the entire field will be covered in a net. A 40-acre net. And they're everywhere. And I said something to one of the guys. I said, how, why is this happening? This just doesn't make any sense. I'm a hick from southeast Missouri. I don't understand. And he said, well, because of all the birds and everything, they are so particular. They want to protect their produce. It is so valuable to them. It is such a commodity to them. They will cover entire fields with nets to keep birds and all the other kind of animals out of there. They are a huge exporter of produce. Right now, it's estimated that around the region of the Dead Sea, that there are over a trillion dollars worth of mineral deposits a trillion dollars worth of mineral deposits that the Jews could capitalize on and export. And it was about roughly 10 years ago, I think it was, that off the Mediterranean coast, they discovered 32 trillion, that's a T, 32 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. Let me just tell you, God's people are filthy rich. You say, well, why is this significant? Because if you know anything that's going on in the current political game, what is going on between Russia and all of mainland Europe? Most of mainland Europe gets their energy and their natural gas from Russia. 
And due to the Ukrainian war, they, Russia has turned off the tap. Right now, you have France and you have Germany that are even considering firing up old, antiquated coal plants in order to make up the energy deficit just to get them through the winter. Most of mainland Europe today is not sure how they're going to be able to heat their homes in this winter because Russia has turned off the natural gas tap because of NATO's support of Ukraine. Now, this is how things are playing out in this time of order. In comes Israel. In comes God's chosen people. You got Israel over here that's like, we'll sell it to you. We'll do it for you. Four or five years ago, Israel started building a pipeline through an underwater pipeline through the Mediterranean, up through Crete, on into mainland Italy, on up into mainland Europe. They started this about five or six years ago, I think it was. They're saying it won't be complete until 2025. Here's the point. Israel will be a direct economic competitor with Russia. And Russia makes most of their money through natural gas. And do you really think that Russia is going to put up with that for very long? Right now as we speak, Russia and Iran have military forces on the northern border of Israel, between the border of Israel and Syria. They have amassed as I speak. In fact, it was about several months ago that Russia had um, deployed some of their um, military aircraft that were capable of carrying nuke weapons into Syria. They're there now. Iran has given uh, Hamas, anybody heard of Hamas in the news, and Hezbollah and all these different kinds of organizations. Basically, those are just paramilitary wings of the Iranian, mil of the, uh, uh, Iranian military. And how many of you remember the 11-day war that went on a year or so ago over in Israel where you saw all the rockets being lobbed over into Israel? You remember that? And Israel's Iron Dome system where they were shooting up the rockets. It was, it was amazing, the technology, to watch all this go to play. Well, here's what a lot of these scholars that I mentioned to you earlier thinks probably went on. They think that that was probably a test run. They think that was a test run. You say, what do you mean test run? There's only so many rockets within the Israeli military, that Iron Dome system, to shoot other missiles and rockets out of the air. And they wanted to ultimately test the capability of that system. Israel, in that 11 days, deployed somewhere around 42 or 4,300 rockets in their Iron Dome system, shooting out rockets that Hezbollah and Hamas had been sending over, and they depleted, they depleted the resource. They didn't have a bunch of the rockets left. Our administration, in its infinite wisdom, debated on whether or not we were going to resupply them. And thank God they ultimately did. Somebody say amen. That should never have even been an issue. Somebody say amen. We should give them everything they need to take care of themselves. Today, it's estimated that Hezbollah and Hamas on the northern border of Lebanon and Syria has around 150,000 rockets to send over into Israel. Here's the point. They know that some of those are going to be shot down. Many of them will be shot down. But they want to just lob over as many as they can and overwhelm the Israeli defenses. Guys, these are the players of the Gog 
Magog war. These are the people that are lining up. So they're coming after Israel's wealth. Uh, Israel is also known to have some of the greatest tech industry in the world. We think that we go out to Silicon Valley and, and out in uh, California. There We do. We, we've got some brilliant people out there. But above and beyond that, Israel's technology, they, they are unbelievably smart. They export that technology all over. They are a rich nation. So the next thing that happens, some of these motivations, is they want to take back the land. Now, here's, here's what's significant that you need to understand. Russia is not coming into Israel for religious reasons. They couldn't care less. They're there for the money and the spoils. That's it. That's why they're coming. But all of the other players associated with the Gog Magog, they are all Muslim people, Muslim nations. Sure, they want to come in and get their fair share of spoils. But more than that, they want to come in and they want to take Israel, they want to take Jerusalem in particular for religious reasons. One thing you need to understand about the Islamic religion, those that are part of the radical movement, if they, if they held a piece of ground, a piece of territory, in their mind's eyes, they own it forever. If they conquered a piece of ground, they own it in perpetuity. Doesn't care if they get beat back. In their mind's eyes, they will do everything in their power to go back and retake that territory. And that is exactly the motivation that they want to do. Uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini, the person that's in charge of, of Iran, the religious leader in charge of Iran right now, has made threats that if they get the nuke, that they will wipe Israel off the face of the earth within a 25-year period of time. They have said that openly. And that's not hyperbole. That's not an exaggeration. They look to destroy Israel. And they're one of the players of the God war. So they want to take back the land uh, for, for religious reasons. You've probably also seen it in the news where now they estimate that Iran has enough nuke material to make one nuke bomb. And people say, okay, well, they have the material to make it. How are they going to give it there? How are they going to deliver that if they plan to attack them? Do they have the technology? They have the technology. In fact, several weeks ago, they came out with the help of Russia, Russian scientists and Russian technology, and they have developed a missile that will reach from Tehran all the way into the outer skirts of Israel, specifically into Jerusalem. It's over 1,000 miles, and they have the technology. Now, in fact, they built a missile, get this, they built a missile, and on the side of this missile, they wrote down the name of a battle that had occurred like seven, 800 years ago where during one of their wars over the territory where the, where the uh, Islamic forces overwhelmed the Jewish forces, they conquered the Jewish forces, and they wrote the name down on this missile basically saying, we're fixing to do it again. It was an open threat where they will attach a nuke to this missile, and that's what they ultimately want to hit Israel with. Now, if because of these economic reasons, um, the, the things that are going on, the economic reasons Russia wants to come in, most people are saying this, that Israel will not tolerate Iran getting a nuclear weapon. They will not allow it to happen. Um, let me just tell you, the, the Israel, they know how to fight. They are bad. 
bad to the bone, man. The last time that we were over there, I'll just give you this little example. Last time we were over there, uh, it was coming up on their Sabbath, and we're in Jerusalem, our tour group's in Jerusalem, and we're sitting in a, in a kind of a town square, and these little kids, when I say little kids, I'm talking about preschool, kindergarten age, they were, they were getting out of school, and they had all been dismissed, and it was me and my dad, my sister, and I think Jim, where's, where's Jim Arrington? Jim Arrington here tonight? Jim Arrington was with us, and we were sitting in a group together, and we just saw all these little kids running around everywhere, and we were kind of talking amongst ourselves, I was like, man, where's the adults? I mean, why aren't the adults, like, keeping tabs on these kids? Where's the teachers? Where's the parents? And I actually said something to our tour guide. It was like, where's the adults? He's like, why do you do the adults? I said, I don't know, maybe child care? I mean, you know, I just can't help it. When people say crazy things, I just got to kind of, you know, I was like, maybe watch the kids? You know, I don't know, that kind of stuff. He's like, well, they aren't worried about that. We're not worried about this. I mean, this, this nation that is under perpetual, you know, risk from attack, uh, missiles and everything, come. they're not worried about, you know, the bad guy on the street. Why is that? Because any of those adults over there that see something bad going on, they know how to thump your head. There was a teacher that started, uh, ultimately later on, started escorting a class around, I don't know, in her mid-20s. And she had all the kids holding their hands. She's walking around and she's got an M16 strapped to her back. This is broad daylight. I guarantee you, if you tried to do something to one of them kids, she would have put you in the grave, friend. They're bad. They know how to fight. So Israel, is they're not the kind of people that's going to tolerate a threat from Iran that's going to nuke them. Israel will strike first. In fact, they just had a few months ago, I know I'm just giving out some information, but I'm telling you how all this ties in. They spent $5 billion, $5 billion in their defense budget where they had all of the Israeli defense forces basically doing a practice run for a bombing of Elam, the area where this, this enriched material is going on in Iran. It's roughly a 1,000 miles, and they were trying to be somewhat discreet about it, but at the same time, they were trying to be open about it too because they wanted the Iranians to know that we're not going to tell you exactly how we're going to do this, but we want you to know that we can do it anytime we want to do it. And so they spent an extra $5 billion and they went into a several-week training with all of their military forces, their Navy, their Air Force, their equivalent of their Marines, their Army, all of these things into the same time doing a practice run, get this, doing a practice run of bombing a target the exact equivalent distance from Jerusalem out into the Mediterranean as what it is from Jerusalem to Tehran. They were sending them a signal, we are not going to put up with this. They let them know that we will bomb you into oblivion. And as soon as they, in this practice, as soon as they did the offensive run, they then went into a three-week defensive shutdown where they were anticipating an invasion. What invasion do you think that would be? This is what they're gearing up for. Now, you say, Josh, would you hang your hat on this and say this is exactly what's going to come to pass? I'm just telling you what the Bible says and what's going on in, in society today. It lines up, church. We are there. So if they bomb, if they do ultimately bomb Iran, Russia through, and we found this out, Russia through different backdoor services have basically let the Israelis know and they've let the United States know 
that if either the United States or Israel bombs Iran, that we will have to answer to them. Russia has put us on notice. If you bomb Iran, you will answer to us. These are the things that's going on behind the scenes. So the third reason, and this is a very simple one, and, and just for the sake of time, I won't, I won't read it too much, but Ezekiel 38, verses 18 through 23, you can read it for itself. The third reason that people want to invade is because simply because they want to kill Jews. It's as brutal as that. Many of these uh, Islamic forces, these Islamic nations, if they could go in and wipe the Jews off the face of the earth, they absolutely would do that if they felt like they could get away with it. So I want to move on to my final point, and it's this. When will all this occur? Well, I don't want to set dates and times. I'm not that guy. But based on the scriptures that I've given you tonight, there are a few things that's got to happen before what I believe that's got to happen before Gog and Magog has got, it will come to pass. And the four things I'm going to mention to you, they've already happened. The four qualifiers before Gog and Magog can happen, that, that must happen, they've already happened. Number one, I read to you out of Joel chapter 3, Israel must return to their land after being scattered. Check, that's happened. That's done. They're a nation once again. There are over 8.5 million people and more are returning home every single day. That's already happened. The second thing that's got to happen is it says that they must come back from their homeland from many nations. They are coming home from all over the world. All over the world. Whenever Titus, roughly 2,000 years ago, scattered the Jews to the four corners of the earth, when he did that in A.D. 70, and it started then, it started what's called the diaspora, the scattering. And to this day, and at this time since Israel is a nation, once again, people are returning home from the diaspora for the first time in 2,000 years. The third thing, according to that passage that must happen, is that they got to be prosperous. In other words, they got to be, and let me just tell you, they are. they got money. They are a regional power over there. they got more, they have more uh, uh, oil, they got more natural gas than they know what to do with. They're not worried about energy. They're not worried about it. They, they've got all kinds of resources to bankroll anything that they feel that needs to be done. The fourth thing, it says in that passage that Israel must be in safety. Now, this is a debated topic right here. And for some of the reasons that I mentioned to you all ago. Because I mentioned to you, it, the, the passage said that they would dwell in safety, that they would be in villages with un, you know, no walls, all these sorts of things. Here's the thing. When I was over in Israel, I've been there twice, people said, well, were you afraid? I was never afraid. I was never, not one time, afraid. I would be more afraid to go to certain parts close by. Let's just leave it alone there. Somebody say amen. I won't mention any names or any cities or whatever. I would be more terrified to go to certain places in this nation than I was in Israel. Yeah, they do live with a constant threat, but they know how to meet the threat. If you were to ask them, do they live in, in a state of just emergency where they're constantly... They don't live like that. They feel safe. They feel secure. So that thing, that, that qualifier, the fourth qualifier, has also happened. So this could happen at any time. And I want to close with this statement, just these few statements here. I personally believe, and again, some of these scholars that I mentioned to you, I personally believe that this, this will happen, this war, Gog Magog war, will happen either right before the rapture, 
pretty much in tandem with the rapture or immediately following the rapture. I, I know that's it, but I, I'm talking about like, you know, if the rapture happened today and millions and millions and millions, if not billions of people were taken out of the world and those that were left on the earth, don't you know that they would use that as their opportunity to say, hey, the world's in chaos. This is our chance to move in. And they would, they would immediately, they would move in. And that's something that would need to happen. And so all of these things, after that, after the rapture, as pastor preached on this morning, we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Anybody got your meal ordered, ready to roll when you get up there? And the rest of the world is going to be going through tribulation. The first three and a half years of while they're down there is known as the tribulation. The last three and a half years is known as the great tribulation. And I want to tell you, church, all of the players of these prophecies are in place. Um, one of the people that I studied brought up the point and they said, I just can't imagine that Russia, that was once a Christian nation, would invade Israel. Well, here's what you need to know. This is some of the history I learned not, not long ago, which I, I knew some of this, but to put it in perspective, prior to the First World War, we're talking 100 years ago now, prior to the First World War, Russia, under the czars, was an extremely orthodox, Christianized nation. When the First World War happened, and ultimately you had the Bolshevik Revolution, they came in, they overthrew the czars, they came in and they were the communists. They basically did away with any and all religion. Within just a matter of a few years of that war, the Russian Orthodox Church lost 200 million members. Within a 20-year span of time, Russia went from an unbelievably strong Christian nation to basically an entirely atheistic nation. Can I tell you, I see a lot of the same signs going on here. And so it's not too much of a stretch to say this nation, Russia, that's mentioned in Scripture, that, that man, I just can't comprehend that they would invade Israel. It's full of critical. Not anymore. Not anymore. Church, Jesus is coming soon. I'm not up here to just be spouting. That's not the kind of guy I am. I'm telling you, he's coming soon. And if you'd stand tonight, I just want to ask you a few questions. You say, okay, well, you, you've taught us this. You've given us some information. What does this have to do with me? Well, the first one should be obvious. Number one, are you saved? Are you saved? Pastor preached a fantastic message this morning. The salvation call went out. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know him in the full pardon of, of your sins? Do you know that he was crucified, buried, raised from the dead, ascended? He's now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Has he become the Lord of your life? Have you done that? Genuinely done that? I'm not talking about lip service Christianity. I'm not talking about U.S. Census Christianity. You say, what's U.S. Census Christianity? You know, whenever you get the census report in the mail and you're like, are you religious? And, eh, Christian. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, do you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you saved? And for those that are saved, is everything under the blood? You know, if there's some things that you need to get right between you and the Lord, just repent. Come on. 
repent and confess, turn it over to the Lord, get it, get it right. Get it right so that the Lord can use you in these last days. Don't be discouraged. Listen, it, I'm gonna be honest with you. It, it's, it's hard for me to watch the stuff that's going on in, in this nation around the world because I sat there and in and of myself, I, I know the Lord and I'm like, Lord, it doesn't have to be like this. It's frustrating. We say, God, did, you know, if people just knew it doesn't have to be, do they not see where we're headed? Do they not know what's gonna come down the pike on us? Doesn't have to, so I get frustrated at times. But at the same time, when I go to the scriptures and I look at the scripture and I see how everything is lining up, I know Jesus is coming soon. It's coming soon, real soon. And people say, I've had you know young people, youth pastored for years, and you know now deal with young couples. I've had people tell me, not so much lately, but in the past, they'll be like, "Well, Josh, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I want the Lord to wait." I want him to wait. You know, I want to get married. I want to have kids. Listen, I want to tell you something. Those are all fine and awesome. Be fruitful, multiply, get married, have kids, get a good job, go to college. Do all those kinds of things that you know to do. I want to tell you something. When you get to heaven, you're not going to care. You're not going to be up there and be like, man, kicking the can. What did I miss out on? Listen, you're not going to regret anything when you're in heaven. You won't miss anything. You're going to be with Jesus. And so the fourth thing I want to mention is this, and this should just hit our understanding. Church, evangelize. Tell somebody about the Lord. Just tell them about the Lord. Josh, I don't know what to say. Tell him what he did for you. Learn three or four scriptures. Give them those scriptures. And if they want to start a big debate with you, just say, you know what? I'm not going to debate with you. Look it up online. You can find all kinds of answers online. Just tell them. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Let the urgency of the hour inspire you to tell people about Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we're thankful for scripture. We're thankful for prophecy that allows us to see the season in which we're in. None of us will be able to stand before you one day and say, God, we didn't know. No, we know. You gave us clarity in the word. We see the season in which we're in. Father, if there's things in our lives that we need to repent of, God, forgive us. From a pure motivation, Lord, we want to approach you and we ask for your forgiveness. We make confession to you, Lord. But Lord, if there's somebody here that does not know you as Lord, that doesn't know you as Savior, that's never given their heart and their life over to you, if that's them, come right now. I'm not going to hold long, church. But if that's you and you need to come, come. We had three people this morning except Christ. Is there anybody else? We just want to give that invitation. Come on, if that's you, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you and we want to pray for you. Okay. Father, right now as we turn to the closing of this service tonight, I pray 
that this teaching, that something that's come out of this would just inspire us, God. That it would resonate in our spirits, that it would resonate in our hearts to see that what's going on in the world really does line up with your word. And it's not a time to be afraid. It's a time to shine. It's a time that where this is the greatest opportunity of the church's hour. Lord, let us understand that and believe in that and accept that call and that mandate to tell people about Jesus. Father, And we thank you and we know that we're going to be with you soon in heaven. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said amen. Amen and amen. You're dismissed tonight.